Good evening, lovelies. Welcome to part two of the special ladies' night here on Coffee, Candy, and Creatives. My second creative of the night is Dr. Lucky herself, a.k.a. Lynn Sally. She is a neo-burlesque performer and professor of performance studies and an author as well. Her book, Striptease as Transformation, is available on Amazon as well as Rutgers Press. This episode is also brought to you by Be Unique Brevard, the Space Coast premier magazine. Head over to BeUnique.org and pick up your copy today. Now, grab a cup of coffee and your favorite feather boa. Cuddle up with your host pup and enjoy the show. Hello. I love your background. Oh yeah, it's just something I found on the internet. I'm very excited to talk to you. I see it on your shelf as well. That's awesome. We're going to go ahead and start. So kind of introduce yourself to my listeners. Give us a tiny little background and then we'll go from there and we'll talk about all your wonderful stuff you got going on. Absolutely. My name is Lynn Sally and I am a writer, a performer, and a scholar And I have been teaching burlesque at New York University for 18 years. And so I teach college students how to strip for credit and how to think critically about burlesque. Wow. Get into burlesque a little bit because I think people might have a misconception about what it is. It's a performance art, right? Yeah, um, I call it a performing art in a participatory culture. And I think both of those things are really important for understanding um, what makes it perhaps different from what the connotation might be um, in one's uh, mind. So burlesque is, um, and when I use the word neo-burlesque, I'm talking about contemporary burlesque. So neo-burlesque is... um, uh, evening of variety acts. So they're little narrative, little tiny mini plays, if you, if you will, um, uh, stage to music um, that usually begin or end with the performer um, unclothed. And through that, they're able to tell stories um, on stage. And so uh, Burlesque does use Strip tease. So strip tease is is part of what's going on here. Um, but what makes it a little bit different from uh, a commercial strip club, um, and not to vilify one and to say nope. one is great and one's not, because I'm not interested in, in that at all. But burlesque is definitely, it's like a theatrical um, event. And uh, I, most strip clubs the performers are working towards an economic exchange. And so that's the primary difference um, between the two, though they have a lot more in common than people care to admit. Right, right. It's kind of like two different animals in the sexy zoo, so to speak. (laughs) Right. Yeah, because I mean, they're both, if you look at it technically, I mean, you know, there's a semi-naked woman on stage at a burlesque show and there's a semi-naked or perhaps naked woman on stage, uh, you know, at a strip club. So what makes them different? Um, Burlesque performers spend a lot of money on their costumes. Um, It's all about theatricality. Uh, It's not about necessarily looking like the girl next door. Um, It's about celebrating your unique, um, what makes you unique as a, as a human being and as a performer. And so it's really over the top. It has a lot more in common with drag than other sexually explicit um, types of displays that we normally think about when we think about burlesque. 
Right. And I'm glad that you mentioned drag because I was going to say my knowledge of burlesque is limited to the movie with Cher and Christina Aguilera and Adida Von Teese. I mean, everybody knows her. And what I've seen drag queens do when they perform burlesque. So I'm glad that you mentioned it because drag is something that's also a performing art. And, and how did you say it? In a in Participatory a culture. Yes, participatory culture. And yes, the end result is that you're going to see some tits and ass. Okay, but that doesn't mean that it, it's naughty, I guess, for lack of a better word. It's not, um, you know, something to be disrespected. It doesn't mean that the, the people, the individuals performing it deserve to be treated with less respect than a librarian or some, you know, right? Absolutely. So, I mean, there there is a blue component. I like to call it blue rather than risque or dirty or those things that sort of have connotations to them but blue implies you know that there's something adult about it like you know it's something like a little bit wink wink nudge nudge um you know it's not it's not disney it's not it's not pg-13 <laughs> but it's also not performed in places where 13 year olds would necessarily see it um, so it's definitely in the vein of, you know, adult entertainment. Um, and when I use that word in the context of burlesque, it makes some people a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, but the fact of the matter is these are, these are, you know, it's usually performed in nightclubs or it's performed in places that grownups go to and grownups get it, get what, you know, they get the innuendo, they get the jokes. Um, so I like to think of it as blue. I mean, I, th I think it's for grownups. Um, that's one of the things that I argue in the book. And I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, it hasn't quite been easily commodified um, the same way that drag has. So with RuPaul's Drag Race, um, you know, and it's pretty, if you think about uh, drag in the last, you know, decade plus that RuPaul's been on the air, it's really allowed it drag to spread all over the world. And now that's not to say that, you know, um, there aren't some repercussions of that particular form of drag that gets celebrated on RuPaul's Drag Race. I can't imagine the burlesque version of that, you know, I, uh, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm, uh, you know, underestimating that Americans are prudes. But hmm. Michelle Lamour, who's this wonderful, incredible performer, was on America's Got Talent. Gosh, it must have been at least a decade ago. And it, I love showing that little clip in class um, because obviously the producers have scripted it and cut the video in a way that tells a particular narrative. But, you know, she's up there doing a number and she's just, you know, she's cute and doing her thing, she's dressed as Snow White. So for some people, um, you know, the, that coming into their living rooms when their mm -hmm. kids are watching TV with them, it's like, oh my God, this is terrible. But the camera would cut around the audience and people are like shielding their eyes and, and uh, like, oh, and they're all shocked. And Brandy was one of the judges and she was definitely, she was like hitting all the buzzers, trying to like get Michelle out of there and she got moved to the next round um surprisingly enough and for her second act she actually Hasselhoff that David Hasselhoff guy was one of the judges and mm -hmm. I don't know how she did this but she got the kit car 
And the kit car, she got it to say what the audience is thinking, right? So it's like, is she really going to take that off? Oh, this shouldn't be on TV. And it was genius. It was total burlesque, you know, like it's parody. Burlesque is parody. It's a poking fun. And so Michelle was poking fun at using the references of the popular culture that were around her literally, right? The kit car. Um, and she's also poking fun at the people in the audience who are, who are the people at home responding in that way, like, oh my goodness we can't see this. And there is nothing explicit to what she did that you could see on a, a TV commercial. So it's all, um, it's sort of inexplicable to me sometimes, the like backlash or the responses to it. Uh, there's some disconnect between what's happening at shows and what people think is happening at a show. Right. And there, there's some hypocrisy to it as well, because the people that are pissed off that how dare she have a snow white dress on, how dare she take something that's specifically for children and make it naughty you guys are the same ones that are going out to the bars on halloween as slutty nurses get shut up right it's like just take it for what it is and when it's in a, a scene or a setting like that that's that was absolutely a producer's call or the show's you know executives call to to let her or to keep her on there that's not on her she just was like oh you want me? Okay, here I am. Let me do what I do. And if you like it, you like it. And if you don't, well, I'm sorry. It was, you're, you're right. It was an amazing performance. And I'm sure Hasselhoff just ate it up with a spoon. Oh yeah, he was in heaven. <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm not dead. <laughs> Somebody remembers me. <laughs> yeah, I'm relevant again. <laughs> right. Right. I wanted to ask you, um, it says your specialty as a PhD is also uh, gender studies and sexuality. For people that aren't that knowledgeable, gender studies is... It's just the study of gender broadly conceived. So, you know, back in the day, it used to be called women's studies. Um, so, uh, and that obviously has been broadened because, you know, gender is not just about studying women, you know, it's about studying um, men, people who are gender fluid. Um, uh, so, you know, it's when we look at society, um, we still have disparities between the genders. Um, and that's just a material reality that we, um, largely become the ways in which we are raised, um, what's called like our primary groups. So our family, um, secondary groups are things like, you know, your early schooling, um, a strong religious or church background could be a primary secondary group, depending on like how deep you're into it. But all of those things and, 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 and your family, and they have a deep impact on, you know, who we become. Now that doesn't say like you're predetermined to become your parents, um, but what becomes normalized in those environments, um, usually the mother um, cooks uh, and the father, you know, if you think of, if you think of a traditional Sunday afternoon, you know, having people over for, for dinner, the father is going to be at the grill and the mom's going to be in the kitchen. Um, and of course, that is not to say that all families are like that. Um, but that very simple thing of this fine line between tradition and expected gender roles that oppress us that say okay well you're supposed to be in the kitchen because you're a woman like if you like to I like to cook so I'm in the kitchen but um you know part of that is also learned behavior 
So mm -hmm. gender studies, it just kind of unpacks that. And that happens on every level. It happens in it happens on television. It happens in commercials. If you look at fashion magazines, you know, the expectations around how women, uh, the beauty ideals about how women are expected to look, uh, social media, all of these things, all of these things, there still is a very strong difference between um, how women are treated and how men are treated in society. And so gender studies just kind of like brings a, a light to that disparity. Oh, okay. So the book is Striptease as Transformation. And as with, not to make it about drag, but as with drag, striptease, burlesque, you're really kind of putting, I don't want to say costume, but you're putting on another persona, maybe. As you said, it's theatrical, it's performing. And I feel like that would be a wonderful way for someone, not that I'm going to get out there and do it, but someone such as myself to really push themselves someone maybe that's introverted or body conscious or, you know, um, has dysmorphia, something like that to, to push through. Yeah. And people come to burlesque for a whole host of reasons. So they're definitely um, performers and people exploring who, you know, who, who want to work through things in that way. Maybe they're more introverted and they want to sort of create this persona um, that is able to put themselves out there a little bit more. So, so all of those things are very, very true. Um, though, you know, I mean, there's a fine line between the theatrical side of burlesque and burlesque as therapy. Um, and so that's sort of a, a another conversation for another day, but mm -hmm. by transformation, um, what I mean by that is that, you know, literally the performer gets transformed on stage, right? They come out as one character or one persona and they turn into something else. So there's literally the, the, the way the art works is that there's literally a transform, the performer transforms on stage um, from dressed to undressed usually. Uh, but there's also like character and commentary going along with that. But by transformation, I also mean that burlesque can be transformative. So not just literally the performer coming on stage and transforming into something else, but also the people in the audience who are there to see the show and the participatory culture part. What I mean by that is that, you know, there's not a strict division between the folks on stage and the folks in the in the in the audience in this context. Like they are participating in the culture. They get dressed up, they put on red lipstick, they put on perhaps put on high heels or a corset or um, maybe gender gender effort and uh, and, you know, put on a suit or whatever. And so and they're part of the show. Like, that's the whole thing that's really exciting about it. And that's where the transformation comes on is someone coming to, to a show. As you said, like, perhaps like we all have body dysmorphia. I can't say everyone in the entire world, but I'd say a, a majority of, of women have some type of mis perceptions about their body. And so going to a show and seeing a, a a person on stage really going for it, you know, and just putting themselves out there. And so you, you, you not just like strip your, strip your body bare, but you also, you're stripping your politics, you're stripping sort of, um, you're, you're very vulnerable when you're on stage. And so the audience is transformed by that too, because they see other people, you know, going for it and doing whatever they want. Um, and it's really inspiring and it inspires the spectators 
to perhaps uh, look at themselves in a slightly different light. Uh, and I've heard this narrative over and over and over again of audience members turn into performers and then performers turn into producers, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what keeps the scene going. So it really is a is a culture. Like it is a it is a, a culture the way, you know, rockabilly is a culture, punk rock's a culture, uh, uh, sports, like team sports, that's a culture. It has a lot in common um, in those ways. And it sounds a lot like it has a lot in common with the theater experience itself. You're right. Burlesque is a theatrical art form. There's, you know, some type of some type of stage, even if it's a corner of a bar. Um, there's a beginning, middle, and end. There's usually not a fourth wall, as there is in traditional theater. But there's absolutely all of those conventions that we think of when we think about theater. Uh, at a burlesque show, things always go awry. Like, props don't behave. Clothing gets stuck. And so it's actually one of the things that's really exciting going to a show, believe it or not, is watching how performers work through that. And they usually, they call it out, right? They bring attention to it. They're like, can't get that, (laughs) you know? And that makes it fun too, because it is that in the moment realness. And that is what is so exciting about live entertainment. So I just wanted to just expand on that a little bit, because it really is a thing that makes it exciting is that in the moment liveness that makes live entertainment and burlesque so exciting. I feel like it would just take a a little bit of my anxiety away watching because it's like, oh, they're human. Yeah, they're they're, they're human underneath the goddess attire they're human (laughs) so yeah you're right that that is you know and that that again goes back to audience members going and really being transformed by shows as you mentioned Dita Von Teese earlier and Dita Von Teese is the Lily St. Cyr of our generation of, of of our world she is she's a highly skilled um craftsperson I mean her level of attention to detail and the fantasy worlds that she comes up with. And and mm-hmm. I mean, it's very, 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 very elaborate and really sophisticated. Um, so there's, of course, there's like a continuum, just like any, like music, for instance, you know, like you can go and see the greatest band ever and you can go and, and um, you know, see a band that's starting out at your, at your local pub. Um, so when I say this, of course, I'm not saying that all performers are not professional, but I think burlesque, um, and I argue in my book that it's an amateur art form. And that, again, it doesn't mean that there aren't professionals because there's a lot of people who are really incredibly talented performers. But what it means is that that ability for the audience member to go and be like, oh my God, I want to try this and take a class or, you know, get involved, become a stage kitten and get in, um, you know, just start participating in the culture. Um, but that's doable. That, 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 that avenue is, uh, is, is clear. And there's not like, it's not like training for the opera or training to be a ballerina where you have to be, you know, practice, practice, practice for decades before you get a spot on stage. And so the amateur, you know, oftentimes that has a negative connotation, but I don't mean it in the sense that, um, you know, people suck or they're no good at what they do, because that's not the case at all. But by amateur, I mean, it doesn't require any specific training. Like you, you know, if you're a ballerina, you got, you got to take ballet classes. 
Right. Um, and burlesque is not like that. It's not like when you watch the Olympics and you see Simone Biles and you're like, oh, I wish I could do that. You can't. You, you really can't. <laughs> you're 40 years old. You can't do that. However, if you see a, a, a performer on stage and you think, oh, I think I could probably put on a pair of gloves and take them off again. I bet I could. And then you go in the bedroom and you try it. And people can search your town. You know, you Google your local club and see, get out there and do it. Get out there and watch and enjoy it. There's shows all over, all over the world. And there's probably um, a show in, you know, I would say uh, definitely most cities in America um, and even smaller towns. Um, it really has, it really has spread. And I do encourage people uh, to go to shows because that's the only way you can really understand it besides reading my book, of course, <laughs> but actually going and experiencing it yourself um, and supporting the performers because they, you know, people are working hard and, and it is a lot of work. So the performer, you know, it's very different from, from a traditional theater um, model where you have a director, you have a playwright, you have someone casting it, you have the choreographer, you have someone doing the lights, you have someone promoting it, you have a producer. Like in burlesque, the performers are doing all of that. They're making their costumes, they're coming up with their ideas, they're choreographing their acts, they're promoting themselves. And so it's a lot, it's a lot of work for three to five minutes on stage, I can tell you that. So my question I was going to ask was, as opposed to a stripper at the club, which is to me, and this is just an opinion and I could be wrong about it, but it seems like that's more of a transitionary type of job. Now people that do burlesque, this is a career. Well, um, I would be pretty, I wouldn't want to make the claim that um, commercial strippers are transitory, that that's trans something, because that's really undermining some sex workers who do consider that their career. Oh. Um, for sure, there's some, um, I'm sure that there's a popular, large population of people working in commercial strip clubs that want to do something else and probably will do something else. But I, I, I wouldn't want to, make that distinction per se. Um, I also want to be really clear that a lot of performers, the majority of burlesque performers have some other income and, and, and that's not every single one of them, but the majority um, uh, have some, some other type of either a job or um, they teach or, you know, they model or they might have spouses or, you know, um, and so the, but, but people take it very, very seriously. Like it's not just a hobby. And so there's this really interesting concept of what's called a pro-am and a pro-am um, came, the concept came from this guy named Toffler and it is the idea of a professional amateur. And that to me hits it on the mark, like that these people are way beyond hobbyists. They are in it to win it. It is their, you know, it's what, it's what the dreams they have at night. It's what, you know, obsesses them, um, and takes their their time and their energy and their money, um, uh, putting rhinestones on costumes and all that kind of stuff 
they are, they're not just, you know, uh, uh, dabbling once in a while or once a week. They're really, really in it, but they might not be able to survive solely on gigs um, and survive solely on performance. And again, there are performers who can, but I'm just talking about like your average burlesque Um, So I wouldn't make a distinction between, you know, one of them being a career and one of them being transitory. Um, I would, uh, you know, again, when you, when you think about the economics of it, um, I think that, that that's the difference. Most people, I think, go into commercial stripping um, for the money and most people go into burlesque uh, for the glamour and for the fun. Okay. Well, I'm glad I asked because I never, I never mean to offend, but I always do like to ask and, and clarify and be corrected because I think my misconception was maybe, and I don't know where it's influenced, if it's influenced by uh, generalizations by peers or television, but you are always like, oh, they're just working as a stripper because they're working their way through school or things like that. But yeah, so that you, you make so many valid points. And again, I don't ever mean to offend. I just, I don't know. So I ask. <laughs> yeah, no, and most people, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not offended at all, but I just want to make my position really clear that I'm not, I want to be careful not to like vilify commercial strippers or vilify sex workers in any way, shape or form. And in fact, I actually start the preface to my book with the phrase, I am a stripper. And I do that, um, you know, with a lot of reservations because I know that after writing this book, I know I'm never going to get another full-time appointment as a professor ever again because of it. But because there are all these negative connotations about exactly as you're saying, like the, the, the perceptions about a stripper that it's something that's transitory or it's like, um, you know, uh, oh, that poor girl, you know, what type of thing is she trying to get out of? What is she trying to escape that she would do that to herself? And I don't think that that is fair. And I think that the word stripper acts as a performative. Um, and, And what that means is like the second you say it, it comes into being. So if you go up to someone and say, I bet you a hundred bucks that I can toss this ring on top of that garbage can over there, whatever. The second that you say that and they say, okay, okay, I bet you, I bet you, you can't, that bet comes into being. And so this is a concept from a speech act theorist named JL Austin, who talked about performative utterances. And to me, um, it's, we're really doing a disservice when the word stripper um, becomes performative, because what happens is the second you say that word, uh, let's say you're in court, your honor, uh, the, 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 the defendant here is a stripper, nothing more, you know, and it becomes, that person instantly becomes unreputable. They become uh, not trusted. Uh, You wonder, well, you know, what's wrong with them? Are they a drug addict or all the other like crazy negative connotations that come with that word um, uh, come into being. And so it has this really powerful uh, ability to wound people and to just like knock them down, knock them at their knees. Oh, well, you're just, oh, she's just a stripper. 
And so, um, so that's why I start the book in that way. And, and, you know, there are people who've gotten fired from jobs. There's professors who've lost their jobs. There's, you know, women who've lost custody of their kids because they're burlesque performers. And to me, it's completely ridiculous. Um, and so, you know, technically I'm not, uh, a stripper. I've never worked at a commercial strip club, um, but I'm claiming it in this way just to sort of like backtrack a little, just to sort of like get us to think about, you know, what we think about, what what are the connotations with that phrase or with that word. And I'm just trying to um, dismantle the way people use that word it, to wound and to discredit women. And so I think it's, I think it could be used um, the way that we use it in our culture. It's, it's really dismissive. And so uh, I'm glad you asked me that actually, because that is the one thing that took me not having a full-time faculty appointment to write that sentence and to start my book in that way, because it is controversial. Um, but I just decided to own it and go for it. Right. And you're still teaching. So I, yeah, (laughs) I teach burlesque at New York University. Um, I've also been teaching gender studies at NMSU and, and yeah, I still teach. I love, I love teaching. So that will always, that will always be the case. I mean, you must see like kids that are going to school for performing arts in general, uh, theater kids, dancers that maybe think that this class is going to expand their performing abilities a little bit. And then you get the ones that are taking it for a laugh or an easy class. Let's be honest. I go to school. I've taken a couple. And then you've got the ones that are like super serious. Like I'm very interested in this. I'm very invested in this performing art. Yeah. Well, we get people of all genders in my class. Um, Definitely a larger percentage of people who uh, appear or identify as she, her. Um, But that said, So there's two different categories of quote unquote students. There's my students at NYU and I teach in the drama department. So sometimes they cross list it um, with, I don't know, film or literature or things like that. So occasionally we'll get a non-drama student, but the majority of them are drama majors. So they're theater majors. So they're in it because they want to learn more. Um, A lot of them at this point, most of them know what burlesque is. Um, I would say 15 years ago when I first started teaching, you know, s- students didn't know uh, at all what it was, um, what burlesque was, because it just wasn't part of the... Right. So that's changed o- over time. Um, but, and, you know, you have definitely have students who come for a variety of reasons. But I do have to say, with my drama students, um, I we spend probably the first third or half of the class in the, in the 19th century. Like we don't even get to strip tease until mm-hmm. the semester is like half over. And so what we're really doing is studying and unpacking how significant burlesque was to the development of American popular entertainment and culture. Um, and so and they come out of the class with a very uh, reimagined understanding of the history of American theater, because there are other professors, not always, but oftentimes gloss over this because later it sort of had this like negative 
um, connotations of being associated with stripping. Um, and so they definitely come out of the class with a new understanding of theater history. And for that, I'm, that just makes me really happy. Absolutely. And I love that you go back and do the history of it. I'm trying to remember, was it the Romans that first let women perform? It was a long time ago. I took that history of theater class. But you, you mentioned Lily St. Cyr. Was she the first? Was she or is she the first to be well known for it or? No, so burlesque, American burlesque um, emerged in 1868 when Lydia Thomas Thompson and the British Blondes came to the U.S. from the U.K. and they presented to American audiences their unique take on burlesque. So this doesn't mean that burlesque didn't exist before. It goes back to the Greeks as you um, as you referenced a moment ago. Um, but what they did that was unique was that they took this literary form. So burlesque is basically parody, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's a subset of literary parody and it's a burlesque inverts form and content. So it's just like flips things upside down. It makes the high low and the low high. And that's pretty much what burlesque is, um, the definition of it. Uh, so when Lydia Thompson and the British Blondes came, they took this idea of inverting everything um, and they performed classic texts and plays um, Greek myths, things that people would, popular things that people would be able to recognize. Um, and they flipped everything on its head. So all of the women played the men's parts. Um, they would do um, something that I sort of akin to Weird Al Yankovic, where they would take popular music and change the lyrics um, to refer to things. There was all this like double entendre. So I was talking earlier about things being blue and like a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So you kind of had to be there to get the inflection to get, you know, uh, why there were two meanings to what they were saying. So that was a very, very early, 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 early um, burlesque in the United States. Wow very different from what we think about when we think about uh, when striptease um, and burlesque emerged pretty much in the 1930s, the heyday, many people argue was the 40s, 50s and 60s. And so that's when you had someone like Lily St. Cyr, who was very, very elegant and did more um, elaborate sets. Uh, she was very beautiful. She was a classically trained dancer. Um, and, and just had these like very elaborate kind of in this, the spirit of Dita Von Teese's elaborate sets. And then I would say that probably the most famed burlesker would be Gypsy Rose Lee. And as you know, Gypsy Rose Lee wrote a memoir, which is literally one of my top three favorite books in the entire world. It's so good. Um, it really is a an extended performance of this character, Gypsy, writing a book um, as, as the underdog and getting the audience on her side. And so when you read it like that, as this extended character study, it's just like totally brilliant. But Gypsy was, Gypsy was a genius. She was, she was a writer. She, um, she wrote a bunch of murder mysteries. Uh, she wrote a play called the naked genius. Um, uh, and she wrote, of course, her memoirs that were turned into the musical Gypsy. And she also, she had a talk show on television. She just was uh -huh. really, 
she was a really incredible um, a Renaissance woman who was able to um, really, uh, you know, climb her way up the ladder despite not having been educated. She had a background in vaudeville, of course, uh, but not having an education, traditional education, kind of teaching herself. She was really quite a remarkable woman. Right. She did it all. Yeah, wow. she sure did. We're running out of time. Where can people, I, I Googled your name and your book is everywhere. Do you have a website that people can visit or should they follow you on social media? Yeah, that would be great. I would love that. So I'm at lynnsally.com and I encourage everyone to buy the book directly from Rutgers University Press. They do have free shipping or to get it at your local independent bookstore if that's possible. And you can go and order it directly and they'll, they'll get you a copy if they're not carrying it. And if, they, if they're if they not, you could tell them buy a whole bunch of them because all your friends want it. Um, so that's what I recommend. But also you can, so, but you can also get it anywhere books are, books are sold. And there also is an audio book and it is narrated by Kate Valentine, AKA Miss Astrid, who's a super important innovator of the early neo burlesque scene. She was a host and a producer. Uh, she actually just um, hosted Dita Von Teese's Valentine's Day show in LA, oh. and she's incredibly talented. And she did uh, she did the audio book, so she she narrated the book. I'm really excited about that, and that can be found anywhere audiobooks are sold. So we encourage you to, if you don't want to read the book, you can yeah. listen to it. Though I have to say, um, it really is a pretty book. Um, and they're also, it's got this beautiful raised cover that I love, 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 love. And this is a picture of Dirty Martini, who's an incredible, incredible human being and an incredible performer. And the photo was taken by Steven Menendez. And so, and there are also, there are 50 images in the book and they are all in color. So that's really, really exciting. You can en enjoy uh, looking at the pictures um, in between all of the reading. Yeah, and I just wanna thank, I just wanna give a shout out to Ed Barnes, who there's 50 images and Ed Barnes provided uh, about 36 or 38 of them. So I just wanna give a shout out to him and to all the photographers you know, who, who were there documenting it, um, because this was before, um, this book really documents the, the early neo-burlesque revival scene in New York City, and so this was the late 90s, early 2000s, and we just didn't have, we, we didn't have social media, we didn't, we weren't all, like, obsessively, um, doing selfies backstage yeah. and posting them on social media and so to have photographers you know documenting these beautiful moments um it's really important um so at any rate uh either way if you get the book or if you get the audio book we i really appreciate everyone's support and then on instagram you can find me at lynn k sally or if you want to follow my performer um instagram that's dr lucky travels and I use, I use Twitter too once in a while and Facebook, but I mostly use Instagram. So that's a good place to get. Awesome. Well, I thank you, Dr. Lucky. You have taught thank me you. a lot in the last 45 minutes. I have to be honest with you and cleared up a lot of misconceptions that I had, which was fantastic. 
and kind of inspired me to maybe think, think about trying it out. Also, it's got to be a hell of a workout. Absolutely. It's definitely fun. You can also try, you know, pole dance classes um, are also really good workout. If you sort of want to explore that side, um, I would recommend that too, but yeah, but at least go to a show, check it out, see what people are doing and see if you see if the bug bites you. That's right. People get out, support your local uh, burlesquers, go to, was it Rutgers university press? Rutgers university press. And it's the, it's the first link on, um, my link tree on my website. So it's lynnsally.com. If you just want to go there uh, and you can, you can click in order direct from Rutgers from there. That's right. And also if you, if for some reason you don't like Rutgers, go to your local bookstores and pick it up, support your local bookstores. Oh, it's been an honor talking with you. I'm so glad that we were able to do this and I love your puppy. I love that they joined us. (laughs) This is Luna, the show dog. (laughs) She's a show dog, eh? (laughs) Yeah. She's a little bit sleepy too. Oh yeah. Well, listen, you have a wonderful night and thank you for joining me. And I definitely want to talk to you again about some of the other things we touched on because I think those would be amazing conversations to have as well. I love that. And I just want to thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh my gosh. It was my pleasure. Well, have a wonderful night. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this creative conversation. Be sure to follow me on social media. I am Pup Duffy basically everywhere. You can follow the show on Facebook. It's Coffee, Candy, and Creatives. Head over to beunique.org. Like, follow, and support my beautiful humans over there. Be sure to check out my sponsor. And for your own sponsorship or interview opportunities, please email me at pup4ccc at gmail.com. If you like the music you're hearing, head on over to raleighkeegan.com and do yourself a favor and buy this album. You can download it or you can have a physical CD. You can also keep up to date on tour dates and future releases. As always, take care of each other, love each other, watch each other's back, and I'll see you next time.